Hello there, whoever you are. Thank you for taking the time to download and now listen to this very first episode of The Gorman Limit, which is my incredibly narcissistically titled podcast. What I'm going to do with this episode, I hope, is tell you a few stories that when weaved together will explain why it is that I'm doing the podcast. And if I'm lucky, if I'm good at what I'm trying to do, they will also convince you that this is going to be an interesting enough project for you to come back and download episode number two and then episode number three and so on and so forth until um, either I'm done doing this podcast or I die, whichever comes first. So that's what we're going to do here. Let's play a little bit of introduction music and then get started. Before I tell you the first story, I want to set this up a little bit. I want to give you some more context, actually, right? So I've got two jobs, two things that I do for money. And I'm really lucky because both of these things are activities that I really enjoy doing a lot. The first of my two jobs is that I'm a university professor. I teach at this small liberal arts college in the American Midwest, The discipline that I teach there is social work. I tend to teach graduate students more than I do undergrads. Uh, It's a really, really fun gig. I really like doing that a lot. My other job is being a psychotherapist and psychoanalyst. Now, I think there's a difference between being a psychotherapist and a psychoanalyst. And maybe one day I'll talk about that, but not today. I'll just tell you that that's the other thing that I do in addition to being a professor Now, I've been doing some combination of professional teaching and being a professional therapist and general purveyor of good head noise since about 2005. And I'm recording this in the fall semester of the year 2020. So over the past 15 years of my professional life, I have done a lot of different things, right? I have worked in substance abuse treatment centers. I've worked in group homes. I've had a private practice. I've worked in middle schools, high schools. I now work at a university. I've worked at therapeutic day schools, uh, three different ones. Those uh, used to be called alternative schools. But, you know, sometime I'd say in the early 2000s, they got rebranded to sound, I guess, more appealing or something like that to therapeutic day schools. I've worked in inpatient programs, I've worked in outpatient programs and uh, I've taught in person and I've taught online. I've done a ton of different things. And one of the things that I have come to know, understand, accept as I've been doing all this different stuff is that I never actually have either of my two jobs really completely figured out. I'm always figuring out new ways to do both of them. I'm always finding out stuff that I didn't know and getting fascinated by it, trying to learn it, and sometimes incorporating it into what I do, sometimes not. But I'm, I never feel like I've like arrived at my destination of being like a good, solid professor or a therapist or psychoanalyst either, right? This is something which has always been a work in progress for me. So that's my setup. Which brings me to the first story 
that I want to tell you that I think kind of captures my feelings about the kind of work that I do. This is a story that takes place several years back at this point. I had a private practice and I was seeing, this is when, when that was my primary way of making money. Right now, my primary way of making money is actually as a university professor. And I've been doing that for like, uh, this is my fifth year. I'm starting my fifth year now. But before I was a full-time professor, my main way of making money was as a full-time psychotherapist. And I did like adjunct teaching on the side, right? It's, it's switched basically, I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. Uh, five years back, I was mainly a therapist who did some part-time teaching. Nowadays, I'm a full-time professor who does some part-time therapeutic work. Anyways, um, this is back when I was still doing therapist stuff full-time. I would see a lot of people each week. I, would, I could book 30, which means that I would see somewhere between 20 and 25 in a week, depending on the number of cancellations I got. And I was seeing this teenage kid who was really funny. He would come in and he'd, he'd say things that I like thought were really endearing and they often made me laugh. And I was seeing him around the time the holiday season rolled around. And one day he came in uh, to my office. I went out to the waiting room and brought him back. And he had a big grin on his face. He was smiling. And I noticed it. And I, I, when we sat down in the office to do our session, I asked him about that. I said, you're smiling. What's going on? And he's just like, dude, I just found like the coolest Christmas gift that I'm going to get my older brother. And I was like, huh okay, do you want to tell me about it? And he said, yeah. And then he tells me, he was looking online uh, for, for stuff. His brother apparently was uh, a coffee snob. He really liked coffee like a lot and was really into it in a bunch of different ways. And my patient, his younger brother, had discovered a mug online, a coffee mug. And the mug said, world's okayest brother. And he thought that was really funny. And I, it, which, you know, I thought it was kind of funny too, right? Not world's best brother, not world's greatest brother, world's okayest brother. That's, that's a funny thing to give somebody as a gift, right? So I thought that was pretty funny. And I've often thought of this story whenever I think about the kind of work that I do, because as I was saying just a moment ago, I never feel like I've kind of like, um, I don't know, gotten to the place where I feel ultra confident about the kind of work that I'm doing. I don't think I'm bad at it, mind you, right? I think I'm actually, I'm pretty okay. I'm the world's okayest university professor. I think I'm uh, the world's okayest, just on the border of good psychotherapist and psychoanalyst, right? But I'm not, I, I, I'm not at that place where I feel like I can relax. I always feel like I have to keep improving, keep learning, keep finding new things that are interesting that I can come to a better understanding of, right? So in that sense, uh, even though I'm saying, when I tell you the story, when I say like I'm the world's okayest professor and therapist and stuff, I'm saying that because one, I think it's true, but two, I think it's actually good. I think that's not a bad place to be. For me, it isn't anyways, right? Maybe maybe it would be nicer to, to feel slightly more secure than I do right now, probably, but I don't feel totally insecure, certainly. I have insecurities, but I don't feel as though those insecurities, you know, rule me the way that they did when I got started doing both of my jobs, when I got started teaching, when I got started doing therapy. Had loads of insecurities at the beginning. And they, uh, 
they haunted me big time. Nowadays, I feel like they're there, but uh, those ghosts don't haunt me nearly to the extent that they once did and all that. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, um, I feel like I'm rambling. I am rambling. Let's wrap this up here. The point of this story. One, I'm the world's okayest university professor slash therapist. Two, being the okayest, not such a bad place to be, right? Um, because it keeps me from being a little bit too full of myself and it also means that I'm a little bit further along than I was when I thought that I wasn't even okay and that's good so that's my first I guess uh, story thing that I'm telling this podcast are you interested yet? are you going to stick around and hear the rest? I hope that you are So story number two, I'm going to title this section of the podcast back in March of 2020. It starts like this. Back in March of 2020, I was teaching classes. They were the kind of classes that I taught in the way that I'd been teaching for a number of years. You know, I'd start my day by waking up, getting myself together and all that, eating some breakfast, getting in my car and driving through a lot of traffic to this university campus where I'd, you know, try to find parking. That would take a while. And then I would go in to a building and eventually I'd walk into a classroom. There'd be students in that classroom and I would stand at the front of the classroom and they would sit facing me and I would attempt to teach them things and stuff. And I would do this several days a week. And back in March, 2020, This thing happened that put an end to that. That thing is, of course, the coronavirus or COVID-19. Became a thing and, uh, you know, it started to become, it it was this thing that had been being talked about for some time, right? I'd been hearing news stories. I would listen to NPR in the morning rather regularly and there'd be these news stories about novel coronavirus in Wuhan, China. And then it was spreading and, you know, then it was here in the part of the world that I was living in affecting people uh, who lived near me, not people on like the other side of the world or anything anymore, right? And the university that I worked at, like pretty much every university, decided that it was risky to keep people on campus. And it sent people home. It sent home the students. It sent home the faculty, the staff. And I I went home. And there was this sort of... uh, shelter-in-place thing or quarantine or stay-at-home order. It had a bunch of different names. Basically, everybody was told, go home and hang out there until things are better. And we were doing that for a while, and things weren't getting better, actually, right? Like the coronavirus was starting to, you know, sort of like ramp up, not ramp down. When it started, I was one of the people who thought that it was going to maybe last a couple of weeks, And uh, then, you know, basically normal life would somehow reassert itself. Clearly I was wrong about that because that's not how things went at all. But that's what I thought was going to happen as this got going. So anyways, another thing that happened at this time 
was that the university that I teach at wanted us to continue doing instruction in some way, right? They, I mean, no one saw this coronavirus thing coming, but it was here and, you know, students had spent a lot of money to take the classes they were taking and their semester had been interrupted sort of like halfway. And it was like, hey, we got to we got to deliver the content we got. So, you know, a lot of these students, they want to graduate. Um, this is their last semester before they graduate. They want to get out into the world and do stuff as professionals, as graduates, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was important that we continued. The university said that, and I agree. I think it was important that we continued, but they didn't want us to continue by returning to campus. They said to, uh, you know, the faculty, in a sense, you know, figure it out. We, we, don't, we don't know how you're going to figure it out. We'll help you figure it out if we can. If there's anything you need, let us know. If we can get it for you, we will. But please do your best to figure this out. Now, a lot of my colleagues at the university where I teach, they, had, they came up with different ways of doing this. Some of them would continue to meet with their classes at the assigned time through Zoom and do what's called like synchronous learning, synchronous because it happens, everybody's synchronized, everybody's learning at the same time. Uh, other people started to record lectures, videos of themselves teaching and put that up and students could kind of watch those at whatever time worked for them and then do stuff like take quizzes or uh, do forum posts or different things like that, do online activities. Also kind of like whenever they wanted to, that's called asynchronous learning because everybody can be doing it really whenever. And I was watching what other people were doing and I was trying to keep up, trying to come up with what I was going to do. And I thought about doing the video lecture thing because so many of my colleagues were doing that. That was a really popular sort of thing that many people adopted. But I didn't do that. And here's why. I watch YouTube videos of people doing different things. I follow some YouTube channels. I also listen to a lot of podcasts. And I prefer podcasts. I think that audio only kind of media for me is different and for, for me better than visual media very, most of the time. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. One reason is that it seems to me that just having a person's voice in my ears on a regular basis, just their voice, well, I, I do other stuff like drive or run or fold laundry or something like that. That makes me feel connected to the, the person whose voice it is in a way that seeing them doesn't. You, I would think, maybe you'd think too, that seeing somebody and hearing them would make you feel more connected. But in my case, it doesn't. It's almost as if I feel like uh, when I'm watching somebody on a screen, they become... I guess I'd call it somehow like more of an image and, and less real. I, I understand they're a real person, but they feel less real to me. When I just hear a person's voice in my ears, in my headphones, they're, they, I, they, they seem more real, I guess. And I don't know if that just makes me some sort of like weird freak of nature or something, but that's how I feel about it. I, I like audio. I've always been a fan of radio. It started for me when I was young and I, I first heard This American Life, the NPR show, which is hosted by Ira Glass. And, you know, when I heard that show, I, I started to, to 
I, I listened to it all the time, right? Like I would, I would, this was before there was podcasts that I started listening to This American Life. And I would make sure that I had time in my week so that I could listen to that radio show. Because just hearing Ira Glass's voice and the voice of the people who are on the show on a regular basis made me feel connected to them. And uh, at a certain point, This American Life, for a little bit, I don't know how long this lasted. I know it had a TV show. It took the radio show and turned it into a television show. That didn't last, but the radio show continues to exist, and it exists as a podcast now as well. And I, and I think it's just because it's the sort of thing which was created for this kind of medium, the medium of voices in your ears. And I don't know if I can explain it better than that. I've done, a, I think, a terrible job actually explaining this, but I think you might get it, right, that there's something something about this, something about a podcast that gives you a feeling that video can't. At least that's how I feel about it. So let's bounce back to this story I was telling. I, I know that I've gone on this long diatribe about my feelings about audio-only mediums um, and media. I was thinking about doing video lectures and I was, as I was thinking about it, I had this misgiving that came from my experiences of radio shows and podcasts and audio-only media. And I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just do my lectures as podcasts. And I thought that this was going to be nicer for me because one, I didn't want to make a video of myself and have to see more of my face on a computer screen. But two, I, I thought it might be nicer for the students. You know, if you're listening to a podcast... You don't have to be sitting in front of your computer. And during the, the, from the very beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, I started to spend more and more and more time in front of my computer. And I started to resent that. I started to not like sitting in front of my computer. I wanted to get away from my computer. So if I was doing video lectures that would bring people more to their computers and bring me to my computer more for that matter. And I didn't want to do that. But if I made podcasts, people could listen to the podcast. Students could listen to the podcasts while they were doing other things while well, they were well they were running or walking their dog or you know just sitting and drinking some coffee in the morning or folding their laundry cleaning their house their apartment whatever um well they were driving in their car if they needed to go someplace they could listen to it that way and i thought that would be nicer for them too they could just you know subscribe to the podcast feed and then they the, every, every time i did a new lecture it would just show up on their phone and they could listen to it at whatever time worked for them and so I started to record these things and I called them podcast lectures. And, you know, I thought that they were okay. And then the end of the semester came around, the end of the spring semester in 2020. And at the end of a semester, you have to do evaluations. You know, students fill out evaluations on the, the courses that you taught and they tell you either that they, they liked this and that or that they hated this and that. They, you, you get feedback from your students. Sometimes it makes you feel good. Sometimes it makes you feel bad. But the feedback I got from my students was that they really dug the podcast lectures. They thought they were, they were great. They thought they were a good way to deliver content and they confirmed a lot of what I was thinking. They liked that they could listen to them while they did other stuff. And that was really helpful for them. And they said that it, they paid more attention. They found themselves paying more attention to this audio only voice in their headphones than they did when they were watching videos of people kind of presenting PowerPoints or something like that. 
And some of them were surprised by that. Like they, they thought that maybe they would learn better if they had the visual component with the PowerPoints they could sit and watch and take notes on or whatever. But they said that when they didn't have that, they had to focus more on what was being said. They had to pay more attention, I guess, to the words that were coming through their headphones into their ears. And they felt like they learned the material better too. So that was really exciting for me. I thought that was really cool when that happened. So I kept doing it, right? Like, you know, over the summer I taught two classes and they, they were taught completely in this remote learning format. Uh, students never showed up a classroom, neither did I. And I continued the podcast lecture phenomenon through those two classes and it went really well. It wasn't only doing podcast lectures. We would do podcast lectures and we would also have um, meetings as a class through Zoom. So I would do that too, right? But the idea was that I could present the lecture as a podcast and students could listen to that before we met as a group on Zoom. And then when we met as a group on Zoom, we could do this very seminar style type of learning where we actually discussed the readings, went through questions, comments, criticisms, concerns about the stuff that the students had read and the stuff that I brought up in my podcast lectures. And it was really some of the, for me, some of the most fun teaching I've been able to do in a while. I mean, it's not the most fun, but it was, I was, I was dreading Zoom school. I thought Zoom school was going to be hard. I thought it was going to suck. And then I, I did it this way and it turned out that I was having a pretty good time and it seemed like the students were learning things and having a pretty good time too. And so that was really encouraging, you know, and then the, the summer came to an end, the fall semester got started and I continued doing the podcast thing. And as I was doing this, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm actually having a lot of fun making my podcast lectures. And I don't put those out on the internet for everybody to listen to. Those are from the students in the classes, the, the students who have paid for those classes with their time, their money, their energy. It's, it's for them. It's just for them. But I thought maybe I could do a podcast where I get to do some form of this thing called teaching that I'm okay at where I could talk about things that I'm experiencing and thinking about and just kind of put it out into the world like this. And maybe people will listen to it if I do. And uh, I was like, okay, I could do that. What do I call it? And I thought and I thought and I thought. And one day when I was running, the idea uh, of the Gorman limit came to me. And I thought that's an interesting title. At the time that I thought of it, I thought like it would be a podcast where I think out loud and in public and in thinking that way, I will expand the limit of what it is that I know. And I thought, yeah, I could, I could maybe work with that. And the idea, the title stuck in my head, right? Sometimes I think of a title, then I forget it. It probably wasn't very good. But this one stuck around for a while. And I thought it seemed like an okay idea. And so I rolled with it. And you're listening to the first episode of The Gorman Limit. I've told you some stories, which I hope have explained why it is that I'm doing this podcast. And I hope that you're in somewhat interested and that you'll come back and you'll listen to the next episode. Till then, make glorious mistakes. <laughs>